1: Good evening and welcome to From the Median, where we are concerned with the middle ground, not just to understand both sides of an argument, but also to awaken the consciences of those who are neutral or indifferent to this, the greatest civil rights movement of all times, the pro-life movement. Our next guest is somebody that I am very, very honored to have on the show. And in fact, I read an article by him very recently, and I thought, my goodness, I have to get this gentleman on the program to talk to all of you to help us all understand what is going on in the world. My guest is Thomas Ward. He is an associate professor of philosophy at Baylor University. And the article that he wrote was very, very interesting. It actually appeared in First Things, and it was called Indy Gregory and the the Future of Death on Demand. And obviously, the title speaks to what we're going to talk about. So before we go any further there, Tom, thank you so much for joining us.
0: Molly, thanks for very much for having me on to talk about this really important issue.
1: It is, you know, it is increasingly so, Tom. And, you know, when I read your article, it really resonated with me because, you know, here in Ohio, where this is being aired, um, and actually It gets aired in a couple of different places as well in in Michigan as well. We all know what we are facing coming, you know, what, what we can see coming down the line with, with, with regards to the culture and the push for euthanasia and assisted suicide. It is relentless. The people who are pushing it, they seem to go away for a month or two or for maybe for a year or two and then they'll come right back at us with, with what's going on. Your particular article though really addressed something that was very profound, I think. The opening paragraph, you, you actually state this, that the, the events t- that you talk about the different events that are going on in the world, particularly about an actress, Sibylla Barbary, who ended her life. She actually left her home country, went to another country because her home country would not euthanize her. I mean, that whole thing was just like, wow, what are we doing here? Tell us a little bit about what sort of sparked this article for you.
0: Right. Well, it was really the the conjunction of these two events right around the same time. I, I was a little bit late following the Indy Gregory saga, but like uh, you and I'm sure your listeners was horrified at what had happened to her. Um, you know, the doctors at the Vatican had, um, offered to conduct some experimental treatments that might have helped her. Still a long shot for sure, but, but they were willing. Um, and, and Indy's parents certainly were willing. Um, Prime Minister Giorgio Maloney of Italy granted Indy, uh, Italian citizenship to expedite the, the process. And still the doctors in the National Health Service, said no, and um, so essentially, we go
1: anything, yes. people so that people might not know what the whole story about Indy Gregory, because oh, right, yeah. So let's just t- let's come in on that background because I think that makes it even even more horrific when you think about you know who it is that we're talking about right
0: right so so Indy um, was a, a a baby who had a mitochondrial disease that was severely debilitating it was unclear just how much um, uh, awareness or responsiveness she had her parents were um, insistent that she did the doctors were uh, less pessimistic and they concluded that her life was no longer worth attempting to save they thought that her her quality of life made it such that her life was not worth living um and these parents disagreed and uh and like i said some doctors in italy um uh, also disagreed and wanted to keep trying but but the uh, gregory family were not allowed to take it um to take advantage of that offer from the italians so so uh, so, so then the uh, national health service removed life support and she died shortly thereafter
1: oh my gosh oh Yes.
0: Yes. Now, uh, around the same time, the story about uh, Sibylla Barbieri came out, um, as you said, uh, Italian actress, not not super famous, but but known in her home country um, and went to Switzerland where she was permitted to uh, take her own life medically. And right before she did that, she recorded a sort of protest video that made the rounds in which she said that it was unfair that Italy would refuse her request for euthanasia while granting it to others whose conditions were deemed more severe. So the the, the terrifying thing about this, I think, is that uh, she's arguing for this on the grounds of equity. Yep. You know, the, yep. the door has already been opened, so why not um, enable anyone who wants to take advantage of this to do so. And and that's the really dangerous thing. Where where will there be uh, a principled line in the sand? And I think once you've crossed that threshold of allowing for euthanasia in the first place, you really have no grounds, mm-hmm. especially when arguments are being made on the grounds of equity, mm-hmm. which is, you know, as we all know, is is the one seems to be the one unassailable argument for getting what you want these
1: days absolutely you know you make a very a very sort of frightening statement in your article and by the way folks I will put this article up on our website um, so just go to the website from the and I'll have the the um, the article up there with together with of course with um, Tom Tom's um, interview um, but you make a very uh, very frightening statement Tom and this is sort of what I, I got through the first paragraph oh that's horrible and then I read this thing and I but, you know, I've got to get you on to talk about this because you say today the Hippocratic orthodoxy to do no harm has become optional. Yes. I, I, I just sort of resonated in my head. How can we have our medical professionals having that kind of attitude towards healing? Unbelievable. It is
0: terrifying. Yes, yes. and And of course, it's um done in the name of compassion you know no one enjoys suffering uh we are all going to die and so you can see a little bit how um the medical profession can uh, in- inch toward yeah. allowing for euthanasia but but still um you know this absolute commitment to do no harm which is part of the the ancient greek founding of medicine it really has become optional and and it, doctors instead of uh committing themselves primarily to healing i think are committing themselves primarily to palliative care in a world of despair where very few people uh what sorry i should say more where more and more people really don't have a sense that life is worth
1: yeah, living yeah.
0: that life is meaningful and so when it ceases to ceases to be pleasant There's no longer grounds for going on living. And that's something that we need to resist with all we have.
1: About you, but I really do feel I see this happening together in a world that has rejected for the most part, you know, the, 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 the idea that there is a higher being, that God is, God is there and that suffering is part of what we are, but there is always hope in our spirituality. But as our spirituality, uh, you know, and particularly I'm, I'm a very strong Christian, you know, when I see that spirituality starting to dip and I, I grew up in Africa, I, I saw that sort of thing happening there as well so when there is you know when you've got no solid ground from that perspective to to fall back on in times of suffering this is pretty well where you go this is where you go, and and I I find it to be you know an unbelievable thing that we're allowing this to happen in this beautiful Western civilization that I think is is just an it is one of the best most beautiful civilization ever, but you know you see this happening. You you talk about here you you, you quote uh, Richard John Niehaus where he says um oh sorry sorry about that that is my let me switch off my. My mic here. Um, he says we're up. Op- orthodoxy is optional. Orthodoxy will sooner or later be prescribed. What do you quote that? Give us some background on that.
0: Right. Well, I can't remember the the original context in which. Uh, Father Newhouse uh, made this statement. Sometimes, you know, those who are sort of in the uh, the sort of intellectual circles he traveled in will sometimes refer to this as Newhouse's Law. But the, the idea is, uh, you know, take, for example, um, the issue of same-sex marriage as that was, uh, was on its way through and, and transforming our culture as it has. You know, at first it was a topic about which people could have reasonable disagreement. And so if if one supported traditional marriage, you might have strong disagreement from the other side, but you were allowed to sort of make your case in public. Um, And eventually, as the same-sex arguments uh, won the day, um, it became absolutely intolerable that anyone would have, would so much as even have the opinion um, in favor of traditional marriage, let alone speak about it in public. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, you start off with the, let's say, call it the orthodoxy of traditional marriage, and then um, as that is rejected and things are opened up for debate, so to speak, <clears throat> eventually the originally orthodox position becomes, um, not just heterodox, but absolutely anathema. Mm-hmm. And I think that uh, we're in danger of something similarly, ha- similar happening on the question of euthanasia. And particularly, uh, and this is, you know, a sort of dark, Prophecy, I hope will, that will not come true. But it's hard for me right now to avoid a, a kind of teasing out of the logic of euthanasia that will eventually make it, if not mandatory, at least as strongly encouraged that people approaching the end of their lives will have to take, yeah. will have to be euthanized.
1: Absolutely. <laughs>
0: And I think there are a variety of reasons for this. There's the crisis of meaning, which we've talked about a little bit already. But then there's also the um, the, the the sheer expense of uh, of health services in general. And when we look to uh, declining populations across the Western world, uh, fewer workers to support the entitlements of the retired, the elderly. Um, you know, one begins to ask again in a sort of dark mode, but Well, why not? Why wouldn't governments begin encouraging people to take their lives, say, at, you know, Well, I, I don't even want to specify an age. It's too dark to even go there, but yeah, but I well, think you know we, what I mean. Yeah.
1: Well, you've just, you know, you started off the whole, we've started the whole um, discussion today with, the, with the little girl. I mean, this baby. So there is no yeah. age really, you know, so it's going to be the either end, which is what I've always said as being so involved in the pro-life movement, which is both ends, you know, from the beginning to the end. Yes. Um, that's exactly it because you, you start off at those two weaker ends and then everything in between starts to just collapse in. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right.
0: And, w- and what we're seeing with the Canadian experiment with what they call MAID, mm-hmm. medical assistance in dying, um, is that it's not, it's not just the terminally ill, the extremely old and terminally ill. It's people with disabilities. Mm-hmm. It's people with mental health issues that are who are now being encouraged or at least um, given as an option in a clinical context, you know have you considered made yeah. and it really is uh yeah. it, it really is horrifying it really you know I, I have this um this expression that in in the article the the expensive innocence yeah. you know when when care becomes very expensive, what keeps a bureaucracy from making heartless decisions you know on the basis of budgets rather than on the basis of the care of persons. Yeah, and it's hard, it's hard to see uh, principled reasons why uh, secular... Western governments won't try to go there, Absolutely. and that's that's why we need to to keep sounding the alarm yeah. and do things, whether it's just at the ballot box or writing pieces or doing the sort of work that you're doing, Molly, to make sure that this doesn't happen.
1: Yeah, exactly. You you have a very very interesting sentence, and I've got uh, you know, sort of underlined it and I put it in highlight because I, I want to keep this in my in my arsenal of things. But you talk about the fact that notice that the old term medically medical assisted suicide has been replaced by MAID, which is, as you mentioned, medical aid in dying, which um, sounds a little nicer at first until you realize it neither says nor implies anything whatsoever about a patient's own choice about death and healthcare. Yes. That jumped out at me so starkly. It's like, you're so right because people, and we're hearing this, I, I often have um, Alex Schattenberg from Euthanasia Prevention Coalition on the show. And, you know, he, he deals with this on a regular basis with family members coming to him saying, they are, you know, the, the, the medical staff are pressuring my loved one to do X, Y, you know, to end, to end their life. So it mm. becomes no longer something wow. that is, you know, that we even choose. It's now the pressure is on and it's already happening in Canada.
0: Mm.
1: Absolutely. So it's, it's interesting. Um, you, one of the other things that I really wanted to, to talk with you about is, um, what are, what do you see? And, and you do mention a couple of them in your article. And as you say, it's, they're probably long shots, but they're things we have to do. What can, you, what can we do about this, Tom?
0: Right. Well, uh, Electoral politics is probably the most immediate thing that we can do. But, but uh, you know, if, if that ends up being a losing battle, and I, I'm not sure that it will. I mean, certainly some states have, have already gone in that direction. Um, many have not. And it may be that we're able to hold the line for, for quite some time. But But I do have concerns about what might come down. Uh, at the federal level, um, as as we know on the abortion issue, um, you know the the uh, Supreme Court has in the past um, essentially legislated on contra- very controversial moral issues on behalf of the whole country instead of lead- leaving it up to states and local governments. So there is that concern at the federal level. So we 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 need to make sure that we're um, voting for candidates who respect life. But aside from that. You know, and this is something I mentioned in the article, and it's, it, it is admittedly, um, s- speculative, but I see an analogy here between the homeschool and classical school movement and what may be in store for opponents of euthanasia in the future. So the analogy is roughly this. Uh, Families like my own who um, educate our kids at home or who send our kids to uh, uh, Christian private schools, they forego the funding of the government for their kids' education. They saddle that burden themselves. I understand that some states have um, you know uh, vouchers for homeschoolers and things like that. So you know it's it's this is not a blanket statement, but certainly in Texas, we get no direct support. Um, if we chose to send our kids to public schools, we would have this enormous financial burden lifted off of us. But we choose to saddle that burden because the stakes are too high. Yeah. We want to be able to form our children. Uh, in the faith and not just giving them the the, the traditional three R's. Okay, so then um, we already have these communities who group together, shoulder this burden of time and resources to educate their kids. Perhaps something similar uh, will need to happen with regard to medical care. And I know that there are already, um, you know, faith-based medical co-ops for um, at least uh, to help bear the cost of medical care, but I'm not aware of comparable programs that actually provide care. So I I can imagine a sort of opting out of mainstream medicine um, in favor of these alternative communities of care that hold the line on euthanasia, Um, just as there are families who opt out of Public education to hold the line yeah. on uh, religious formation at home.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I think, I think you're right. I think this is something that we've got to look into because, um, you, you know, you use the example of, of what happened to the, to, to the, uh, anti vaxxers. I mean, we were, uh, I was one of them and it, we, you were totally scorned. You were told that, you know, my children were all told that they're going to kill their grandmother and their mother yeah. and all the rest of us. <laughs> like, oh my goodness. But I do find when you, you know, when you use that analogy, I do find that. That gave me a little bit of hope because at the end of the day, we did hold the line and actually, you know, because we held the line, we we were able to get the the whole the, you know everything exposed. We were able to see the full picture, and more and more, right. more we were we. Uh, I mean, now I've had people come up to me and say, "You were absolutely right. You should we should never have got vaccinated," you know. So yes. we we do see that. So I think if we can do this, and the, and the homeschooling one is a great analogy. It's an absolutely wonderful analogy because the homeschoolers used to be you know these little these families with tin hats on not anymore they're <laughs> not anymore i mean people are just more and more and a fastest growing form of education in the nation you know yes. so so you see that and it it gives me a lot of hope a lot of hope so
0: it does me as well in, in, in fact i i'm often telling uh Students who are, you know, interested in getting into education as a career, you know, unfortunately, these private classical schools don't pay very well yet. But it is a it is a growing movement, and it's one of the movements that actually does give me most hope for the country because you have at this point millions millions of families. Across the country, who are opting for homeschool, or classical private schools, or some combination thereof, um, and this this uh, education of the younger generation could be transformative. Mm-hmm. Really, could be transformative on the whole culture. Um, and so it may be. You know, you, you mentioned the the um, anti-vax movement and the way in which uh, it has been vindicated. Um, you know, so too if if we're able to hold a strong line and set up these alternative communities of care, uh, we may well see vindication on this issue in our own day. We've lost other battles, certainly. Um, others are ongoing, but maybe there is hope for this one.
1: You know, I I, I do feel that there is, and I think the the, the the this is something we just got to find the narrative that will really resonate with people. Um, I think people when when when, particularly when you have so many people that are that are taking care of their elderly, taking care of you know, looking after their their sick children or whatever, uh, you know, to be threatened that you are going to not be able to do that, I think we've got to try and build that narrative out so that it's a really strong one and helps us as we go forward because I can see it coming. I mean, it just, I just, I look at, you know, the way things are going and you're absolutely right. You point out the fact that the insurance companies are, you know, they don't want to pay. They're going to see different ways of doing this and particularly when it goes all into, into government care. Um, we are going to be faced with, with some very, very tough things going forward and I, we've got to be aware of what it is that we're doing one last word of encouragement for people um tom that you know you you've obviously got a you know you've, you've you've got an interest in this just like the the moms and pops out there what do you see each of us forget the government what do we do
0: yep we recommit ourselves to the value of life, oh, that that light. What makes life worth living is not uh, uh, being healthy. It's not having pleasant experiences. What makes life worth living is, in in some sense, life itself. And you mentioned God earlier. Um, to to have that trust in God's providence. That suffering, the suffering that is inevitable for all of us, is not meaningless and does not make a life not worth living. There there can be something redemptive about suffering, even suffering at the end of one's life. Um, and so, so to really hold out that hope for the meaning the value of suffering as unwelcome as it is. And if we ourselves uh, individually and in our families have that uh, wholehearted commitment to the value of life, I think... Wise decisions, uh, will sort of ramify out of that commitment. But without that fundamental hope, we'll just go along with the cultural flow.
1: Absolutely. And that's what's so beautiful about being a Christian, because really and truly that's, that's something that is unique to the Christians. You know, I, as I mentioned, I grew up in Africa and there were lots of sort of dark, witchcrafty type of things that, you know, of worships that would go on. And I remember an old man talking to my mom once and he said, until I knew Jesus, I was terrified of. Every day, getting up every morning, so you know it. It just shows it, we've got it. We've got the solution right there. You know what is wrong with us? We need. We need to spread that solution wider and wider. We need to double down because we are under threat. The Christians definitely are under threat right now. Let's just double down and go forward. Tom Ward, what a wonderful! I'm so pleased I found you. Please send me all your articles. I want to get them. This is wonderful. Thank you so much for doing this on short notice, and I really appreciate. Appreciate all you're doing. God bless you, lots.
0: My pleasure, Molly. Thank you very much.
1: Don't go anywhere. I will be back with you right after this very short break with another world-class, inspiring guest.